The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Good morning. Welcome to every one of you here in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome everybody here in the room and everybody tuning in online. We're so grateful that you're with us. And of course, welcome to all of our visitors this morning. We're always honored by your presence. And we hope you'll give us a chance to connect with you. I always like to tell visitors that we've got visitor cards in the lobby you can fill out or you can access a digital version by scanning the QR code in your Sunday sheet if you got one of those. But we're grateful you're with us here at the Springs this morning. This is a church being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find the way to God. And we do that by gathering in the name of the Father, by growing into the image of the Son, and by going in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm glad you're with us this morning, and I also want to invite you to join us next Sunday as we kick off a brand new sermon series called Hope in Action. Uh, This is going to be our June and July guest sermon series this summer. So if at all possible, Ben and I like to try and take June and July to step away from the pulpit to kind of focus on other areas of our jobs a little more intently and think about long-term sermon prep. But we also like to do that because it gives us all the opportunity to hear some fresh voices, some voices from within our congregation, from without our congregation. So we're very, very excited to be hearing from people like Richard Beck, people like Brett Schreck, Leah Redling, and of course next week, back by popular demand, Ryan Jones is gonna kick off our sermon series, Hope in Action. So I hope you'll be here next Sunday morning as we begin that season together. And as you know, Laura and I uh, had some wonderful news happen. We, our baby daughter Evangeline was born a few weeks ago, and uh, she's doing well. They're, they're both at home, and it's been a wonderful little season. So I just want to say thank you so much to all of you who have supported us and prayed for us and um, really supported us for a very long time, actually. There was a kind of cool milestone that we, I crossed on uh, May 21st, about a week ago, uh, was actually 10 years for me at the Springs. And I, oh, thank you, thanks. I know, <laughs> I know it was 10 years because I had tweeted about it on that very first day. And I said it felt weird not to be unemployed. Ten years later, I can report it doesn't feel weird to be unemployed. It feels good to be employed. Uh, So I just want to thank you so much for being a wonderful community for us to land at and serve. And we're just, we're very grateful for you all. So I'm grateful to be with you this morning as well and to be here uh, in the Word of God in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. We're finishing out your story, Scripture, and the mission of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, 
and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no lamp and light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. For the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of this book that are trustworthy and true. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God. And we ask for the courage and strength and sanctification to be able to put on Christ and live him in our lives, in our communities, and in our world. Lord, we ask for the illumination of your Holy Spirit this morning. I ask you for the gift of preaching. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Christians do not believe we get to choose our story, but rather we discover that God has called us to participate in a story not of our own making. Like the characters in Scripture, We have agency over our lives. We get to choose what happens to some regard. But also like the characters of Scripture, much of our story is already thrust upon us. Unlike parts of society, we don't believe that our lives are just a blank slate, just a blank piece of paper that we can fill up with whatever whim or desire we have from moment to moment. We believe much of the page has been filled. The story has been written, the story of God, of creation, fall, calling, Israel, exile, Messiah, crucifixion, resurrection, church. Much of the story has already been written. And while we get to live our own little part of that story, we believe that we are not called to write our own story from scratch, but rather to live into the ending of a grand story already begun. To live into the ending, to participate in a story not of our own making. And that story is God's story. 
And what we've been saying in this series is that it's also your story. It's our story. And this morning, we've reached the end of that story. We've reached the ending. And if you get to the end of a story, you know that something has to have changed. You're not at the end of the story if everything is still the same. Alteration has to occur. Transformation has to have taken place. And we don't know exactly what every single piece of God's transformation at the end looks like. We don't know every single detail of that transformation, but God has given us pictures of that transformation. He's given us pictures of that ending. We may not have a Google Street View of the ending, but we know the destination. We know the direction. And so this morning, I want to focus on some of the images that God has given us of the end of the story, images from Revelation 21 and 22. I want to focus on three pictures of the end and the transformation that God's ending brings for our story. So let's begin with that first image in Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 25. He says of the new Jerusalem, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Remarkable, remarkable imagery of the new Jerusalem here in Revelation. And we see that there's no sun in the new Jerusalem. There's no moonlight because you have the radiance of God's glory to live by. There's no temple in the city. Remember how important the temple is in the Old Testament? There's no temple because you've got the presence of God unmediated. You don't need a holy of holies. The whole city is the holy of holies. But I want to focus especially on something that might slip by us if we didn't look more closely at it. Verse 25. This is the first image of the end of the story. It says, its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So this is the first image of change at the end of the story is the image of open gates. Open gates. Throughout the world of the Bible, gates are the first and foremost defense for a city, right? They are the first and most central part of security and defense. If you can conquer the gates, you've effectively conquered the city in Scripture. Gates are vital to security. Nehemiah is very concerned with who's going to be watching the gates. When will they be open? When will they be shut? But look at the New Jerusalem. The gates are always open. There's no night there, and they're always open by day because the new Jerusalem is fundamentally unthreatened. The new Jerusalem rests eternally in God's perfect generosity and peace. What an incredible image of open gates. And yet what an incredible image of contrast to our own broken world. Right? We think of the, the violence that's 
continuing unabated in Ukraine right now. You think of the violence that's already been mentioned this morning, the shooting that Ben talked about in his sermon last week in Buffalo, and then just a couple days after his sermon, the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And we realize that in the brokenness of our world, of our cities, of our community, we can't leave the gates open. We, we live amidst violence that forces us to keep the gates shut for the threat of sin, death, and unspeakable carnage. When Lara was in elementary school, uh, growing up in Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, her school, the middle school in Fort Gibson, experienced a school shooting. Uh, this was about seven months after Columbine, and 13-year-old kid, he was on Lara's brother's soccer team, showed up that morning, opened fire. Fortunately, no one died. No one died. There were five people that were injured. And Lara's mom was subbing at the middle school that morning and happened to be a little late, happened to be parking with her brothers in a different parking lot. They were spared, mercifully, all of that violence. But they always talked about some quote that they heard on the news that night, that a woman from Fort Gibson had been interviewed, and she said this infamous thing. She said, we don't even lock our doors. We don't even lock our doors. This woman believed that she lived in, in a kind of world, in a kind of community, kind of country, where she could leave the gates open. But she was mistaken, and it rocked their town. It rocked their view of their town and their school. And so we lament this morning the fact that we we can't leave our gates open, that we continually are threatened by violence. And yet we look to the picture of the end with hope. We look to the picture of the new Jerusalem and we see where God is taking us. We see that there is a city that can remain in God's generosity and peace. We see that there is a future, a picture of fundamentally unthreatened existence. And church, that is what we aim at. That is what we move towards. And so we live in the direction of that image. We live in the direction of the new Jerusalem. We live as people of peace, as peacemakers. We live, as Ben said last week, with witness of welcome and hospitality and forgiveness. We live pointing people towards the open gates of God's perfect future. But there are other features in the New Jerusalem that we need to see this morning that deserve our attention. In chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Such rich imagery pointing us to God's future city. And yet it's not only pointing us forwards, it's also pointing us backwards. Because think about Eden in Genesis chapter two. 
In, in Genesis 2, verses 8 through 10, it says that God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden and from there it divides and becomes four branches. We see the echoes of Revelation 22 in Genesis 2 that there was this river branching out, watering, nourishing God's paradise. There was this garden, a tree of life even. And yet that creation was broken. The fabric of God's world ripped apart. But here again in Revelation 22, we see the second image of the end of the story. We see the city and the garden married together. We see the reconciliation of humankind and creation. The reconciliation of the natural world and the built world. Because it's not just a return to Eden. It's not just a garden. It's a garden city. It's a paradise, right? It's this perfect blend of built and natural, human and creation. Garden, city. And I couldn't help thinking, reading this this past week, of Mitt and Maya Vikraman, our, our good, dear friends and missionaries, Mitt and Maya, who live in Singapore. And I, I've never been to Singapore, but it's high on my list, A, just to see the Vikramans, but B, it looks absolutely incredible. Maybe some of you have been there. And there's a place in Singapore I really want to see. It's called the Gardens by the Bay. And at the gardens by the bay, there are these super trees, as they're called. And they're this incredible marriage of natural world and built world. Because they're these tree structures that have been built, but they're also vertical gardens. They're about 80 to 160 feet tall. And they're equipped with over 150,000 living plants. They have solar panels so that they store up energy for a nightly light show in Singapore. And it's just this fantastic image of the marriage between garden and city. And I think of the imagery in Revelation, right? the streets of gold, the pearly gates. And we use that language, scripture uses that language as just a signpost pointing us into the mist of God's future. It's just a hint at what it might be like. And I think if Singapore, if these trees, these super trees, this garden by the bay, if it could even just be a tiny hint of what's in store, what unfathomable riches God has for us. What unfathomable marvels God has laid out for us in his perfect future, a future where the natural world and the built world are reconciled, where humankind and creation and God are all together in perfect harmony. And I think of the tree of life, the tree that was in the garden, the tree that is in the new Jerusalem. And I have to wonder if that tree in any way evokes another tree of healing in Scripture. If that tree in any way resembles the tree talked about in 1 Peter 2, where Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we may cease from sinning and live for righteousness 
By his wounds you were healed. The healing of the nations. That's the picture of the new Jerusalem, the picture of the end of the story, the picture of God's transformation for which we long. Creation healed, drinking the water of life, living on the fruit of Christ's tree, life through death. And that brings us to our third and final picture this morning, a third image of God's story's end. In chapter 22, verses five through seven, it says, and there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. For the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The words of this book are trustworthy and true. And the third and final image I want you to have this morning of the end of the story of God's transformation is imagine you're holding in your hand a Bible. And then imagine in one instant that Bible disappears and instead you're holding the hands of Jesus. We've been talking about scripture and the mission of God. And the interesting thing is, is at the end of the mission, there will be no scripture. The Bible tells the story of God's mission, but at the end of the story that the Bible tells, there's no need for the Bible. Mission accomplished, right? And we will trade the written words of scripture for the living word of God, Jesus Christ, have you ever thought about that? We won't need a Bible at the end, right? And it makes sense because in the garden, Adam and Eve just talked with God. God walked with them. He just talked with them with unmediated presence. And the Bible is this incredible gift to us, right? It's, it's this mediation because after the relationship was broken, we needed something to hear God's speech. We needed a mediator, but at the end of the story, we will go from the written word of God to the living word of God, right? And Jesus hints at this distinction. He hints at this distinction between himself and scripture in John chapter five. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them that in them you have eternal life and it is they that testify on my behalf yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Scripture is God's deputized authority, right? It is the greatest, most necessary pointer we have to Jesus. But here's what I want you to hear about the ending of the story, church. The Bible is not the point. The Bible points us to Jesus, and Jesus is the point, the Bible's not the point. The Bible points us to Jesus beautifully. And Jesus is the point. Right? The Bible is an incredible gift. And, and many of us have loved the Bible our whole lives. Some of us have struggled and wrestled with the Bible. Probably all of us have struggled or wrestled with parts of it. And the Bible is an incredible gift. 
But the Bible's job is to lead us to Jesus. And so we need the Bible. Just like the gift of FaceTime is something that we love, right? It allows us to talk with our loved ones, hear their voice, see their face. But we long for the end of FaceTime, right? We long to be present in the room with our loved ones. And it's the same with the Bible. We love the Bible. We need the Bible. And we long for the day we no longer need the Bible. Because we will have unmediated, face-to-face friendship with God forever. A few months ago, before Evangeline was born, I was knowing that we had a life coming to us. I was knowing that there was transformation coming. Intellectually, I knew it. But I I didn't fully feel it in my bones yet. I didn't fully know it in my heart yet. And I was walking around and I, I sat down in our gray rocking chair where we rock her and I think Laura handed me the little nursing pillow that we use and handed me a little thin, beautiful swaddle that belongs to her. And I just sat there and I rocked with it. And suddenly I started to really understand. Suddenly I I could imagine what was coming. Suddenly I could really feel in my bones that life that was coming to us, that transformation of our lives. Church, we have to do that, right? We have to rearrange the room. We have to hold on and do something tangible. We have to sit with it and rock with it for a while in order to imagine the future. And that's the way it is living into God's ending. We have to rearrange the room in this world, imagining the room that God is taking us to. We have to rearrange the room in order not just to understand the coming that's coming, Jesus. Not just to understand intellectually the life that's in front of us but to really know it, to really feel it, to really live it out. We've got to rearrange the room. We've got to hold on and do something tangible. We've got to sit and rock with it, church. How are we going to do that? How are we going to rearrange the room in order to live towards the new Jerusalem? How are we going to sit and rock with it? What tangibly are we going to do to live in light of the picture of the end? How will we rearrange our lives to be people of peace, to be people of forgiveness, to witness to the love of God in Jesus Christ who will heal all things, who will open up the gates, the Jesus the living word who will replace the written words who will have face-to-face friendship with us forever. Church, let us stand and praise the God who writes our redemption story this morning.